0: Welcome back to uh, CNBC. You're watching Squat Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Elon Musk's Master Plan Three falls short on specifics, sending <laughs> shares lower in extended trade after the Tesla boss fails to offer any details on the company's next generation EVs, despite a promise to cut assembly costs in half. The U.S. 10-year Treasury yield tops 4% for the first time since. All wait for it. November, while equity markets dip as investors grapple with a persistently higher rate environment, the Minneapolis Fed President, Neil Kashkari, says he's not ruling out additional rate hikes this spring. But To
1: me, whether 25 or 50 is less important than what the dots look like. And at this point, I have not decided what my dot is going to look like, but I lean towards continuing to raise further, that I would continue to push up my policy path.
2: European markets hit a three-week low and bond yields climb to multi-year highs as Germany reports a return to rising inflation pressures. Bundesbank President Joachim Nagel says he doesn't expect any near-term slowdown in the ECB's hiking cycle.
3: I expect this 50 basis point hike for our March meeting and it looks like that also for the upcoming meetings in May and after May there is something on top to do.
2: Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey cautions against assuming further rate hikes are set in stone, saying its view has changed since the last meeting.
4: And activist investors seeking to spin off HSBC's lucrative Asian business are demanding a vote at the bank's AGM in May.
0: as you've probably noticed the gang is all back together (laughs) welcome back (laughs) from Barcelona how was it
2: it was busy lots of big-name guests the last couple of years I think have been so disrupted by COVID and then Mm -hmm. as we got going last year the war in Ukraine started so this was the big proper MWC the first one in years so
0: (laughs) is anybody uh, is anybody uh, promising they're gonna make money from 5G so I spent uh, a lot
2: of time talking to people about this as you know and I spent a lot of time thinking about and I think it's almost like a a football team you've got and underperforming team, you've got a lot of debt (coughs) when it comes to the club, and you've got problems on selling the merchandise, you can fix one part. Is West Ham you're talking (laughs) about? (laughs) Uh, Perhaps. (laughs) You can can (laughs) name the team that you think this applies to. (laughs) And effectively you fix one part, you might get a, a good coaching, you bought some better players and, and you fix what's happening when it comes to the team, but you've still got all the other issues to solve. You've still got the debt issues, interest rates have gone up, you're still paying off the debt, you're still not selling uh, any of the material. So I think the problem here is that 5G is performing in parts for those that are executing on enterprise private networks industrial use but there's still a lot of other issues that are masking some of that performance, which is why you're still seeing some low single digit numbers uh, in some of the businesses. And I would say the carriers, not well positioned at this point, particularly in Europe. They have come off the back of a very tough time around COVID, don't have the revenues, They're warnings about this transition being unsustainable because they don't have the funding. Mm. So I think the problem is if you're ahead of the pack, if you've been well positioned, if you've been one of the stronger players, and you've gone after 5G, you're doing okay. And you actually are seeing those numbers. Some of Equipment makers like Nokia that are executing better this time around as well. But it's just not across the board, it's not floating every boat, which is why you're struggling to see it as much as you want to see it.
4: As forecast on this channel, uh, we'll, you know, with all due respect to the people who promised us milk and honey, mm. it never happened for the same reason that 4G didn't happen and 3G didn't happen and the fact that telecoms valuations are down the pan compared to where they were 20 years ago because people are sick and tired of the promises without the goods. And and I'm afraid it'll be the same. And I've noticed a couple of your conversations started on 6G. It'll be exactly the same with that as well because at the end of the day, the operators despite 20 years of promises, 20 years of insert whichever word you want, and I'm thinking of a particular word which I can't do for family television here, Mm -hmm. the fact is they haven't delivered and still won't deliver because the cost of putting the uh, product together uh, plus the cost of acquisition of customers and retention of those customers and building the infrastructure... Just hasn't delivered at all and won't deliver.
2: Yeah, well, we still haven't had the consolidation in Europe. Still too many players. That's been well, one of the long arguments. So the profitability over hasn't been enough but to line the pocket, pockets got. of the operators. Yeah,
4: you can't blame the regulators but it's and the their consolidation. That's the same thing
2: on the banks, though. No, Low no, interest rate no. environment, zero interest rate environment. You I see the you difference. Know I was going to argue
4: with you, but it's lovely to do it straight away.
2: No, you can't blame
4: the regulators and the competitive environment. Don't build it if you think that you're not going to be able to do it competitively as well. Don't go into the the whole arena if. You do not believe that the product, as it is, is competitive as well. To to build the product and then rely on regulators to let you go from five to four or four to three or three to two in a particular geographic—that—that's just mealy-mouth from I them. I think you're I'm forced afraid.
2: to build it because that's part of the, the process of keeping the cost the
4: customer. forces the customer you to allocate building. capital to that. Well,
0: it's 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 a little bit like building toll roads and the haulage companies are the ones that actually make the money not the toll road builders and to your point I think yeah there are a lot of toll road builders out there in Europe which is why the the haulage companies have different routes that they can take here. so let's move away from the metaphor and let's talk real life the people that are actually making money out of 4g or 5g are just not the operators it's the platforms it's anybody else who can piggyback off the opportunity to sell services via the internet through mobile phones to customers And, and I, I don't know what changes that model at and that the moment, because it's, uh, and, and unless you have uh, oligopolistic control and you are the state telecom company and no one else is allowed, it's pretty hard.
2: Yeah, I think the problem, too, that we haven't mentioned is that competition is coming very quick and fast to those profitable areas. And one of the, the big operators I spoke to said that's the other big question, whether we get derailed by competition here. That's sort of the, the variable for yeah. them absolutely but uh, we have going to talk about another part of the mix here and that is around electric vehicles connectivity as tesla shares slumped in extended trade after the ev makers much anticipated investor day failed to include news on new models or updated financial targets Musk focused instead on what he's called Master Plan 3, calling for $10 trillion of investment globally into battery storage alongside greater adoption of renewable energy sources and the installation of heat pumps. Tesla said it could cut production costs in half for its next generation of vehicles, paving the way for a more affordable model. Musk told investors a cut-price car would have a big impact on the company.
5: Demand for our vehicles in terms of desire to own them may as well be infinite. Uh, It's indistinguishable from infinite at this point. Uh, Affordability is what matters. So as you make the car more affordable uh, we will have demand go crazy basically. Demand is very much a function of affordability, not desire. Very important. Um, One of the things we weren't sure about was the price elasticity of demand for, for Tesla. So like as we lower the price How much does demand increase? Um, And we found that even small changes in the price have a big effect on demand, very big.
2: Musk was also asked about the latest developments in AI technology and whether they would help Tesla.
5: I don't see AI helping us make cars anytime soon. Um, At that point, I mean... (laughs) We're at no point in any of us working anything yeah, big big problems yeah, we'll just chill out um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a little worried about the AI stuff um, I think it's uh something i don't know which we should be concerned about uh, i don't know I think we should need, need some kind of like regulatory authority or something that's overseeing AI development and just making sure that it's operating within the public interest and you know it's quite a dangerous quite dangerous technology Um, and I I fear I may have done some things to accelerate it.
2: We've got John Blank with us, Chief Equity Strategist at Zaxx. John, if we get into master plan 3 uh, first up from the production target point of view I mean we're looking at 20 million electric vehicles per year that the company is aiming for by 2030. We're at about 1.3 million vehicles uh, over the course of last year. We're hearing about factories that are going to be smaller but with the same amount of capacity. What was your view on uh, the sort of deliveries that Tesla is targeting?
1: Well let's just think about this for a second. Uh, we've got to get to 20 million vehicles by 2030. We're right now, they get they can do two million a year with four 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 you know four assembly operations operating. So we get half a million units per factory. So to get to twenty million units, you've got to make forty factories, unless they like they talked about today, going at smaller scale and less capital investment. But the the thing that's phenomenal, and I don't understand the market's reaction to this, is just think about what it means to hear thirty six factories. Get announced in the next seven years. That's like five factories a year. So we got one factory natural the Nuevo Leon, the Monterey factory in Mexico. That'll take it to five. Uh, but you know, you're looking at they're they're getting their their footprints down 40%. They're gonna do these things in eight or nine months, and you're gonna hear, you know, five, six, seven of these announcements a, a year for the next seven years. So uh, I was kind of, you know, the other camp, I actually thought it was quite well done. I was really happy to see Musk with his teams presenting a vision, being coherent. He actually seems somewhat humble. I think that the Twitter thing has done some 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 good things for him in getting him back to this this plan. As Master Plan 3 apparently was set up uh, back in March just before the Twitter thing.
2: John, it does put it in context when you number crunch out to the manufacturers required. Can I ask you, too, about the lack of new models? Does that mean that given the focus in getting the cars off the production line into dealerships, that one of the big uh, sacrifices here will be innovation in terms of new models?
1: Well, we did hear about the Cybertruck, and they did say the Cybertruck is going to come out this year. I don't know where that that news didn't get out, but I certainly heard that. And what they also talked about the Cybertruck doing is, really insourcing a lot of, of different voltage from 12 to 48 volts and using a lot less equipment. So I, what I learned about the Cybertruck is not only is it going to be coming out this year, but the, whenever they announce a new product like the Cybertruck, it really comes with a factory footprint. Because the way Tesla sold the whole story here is every time they make a new product, they get the, all the teams in place, not just the manufacturing team, but the factory teams and all the software people, and everybody who's around this. And they hammer these things out together collectively. So the thing I think we should hear about the Cybertruck is it's going to put a new factory template in place that we have not seen yet. Now that's what's taking so long is they want to get this new low footprint factory, 40% less footprint factory, right? And I think that's the real message we should hear about about this whole cyber journey.
0: John, let me me ask you, is this this really a problem with Tesla or is it just a fact that Tesla has never had to operate in these market conditions before? As I looked at all of the other EV brands that have delivered reports recently, whether that's Nikola, Lucid, Rivian, they've all flagged economic challenges going forward as the reason why there is less interest, it seems, now in buying EVs or at least stumping up for the high ticket price at this stage. You know, we're used to Elon Musk uh, and his megalomania and it's master plan one, master plan two, master plan three. But does master plan three actually need to build in the idea that the world has changed? We've got interest rates up at 4% according to the 10-year.
1: Well, you know, Musk is, a you know, this was his whole sustainable future and optimism. I mean, Musk was selling structural change, and he was not uh, addressing what you're addressing, which is cyclical change. Um, You know, and again, this was optimism. This was him trying to get away from, you know, all of his analysts cutting from five to four this year and six to five dollars a share next year. So he was, I mean, in that number, there was competition, and that's, something you're not bringing to the table in this conversation. You're asking me yet the next question, which is cyclicality. And yeah, I think uh, he didn't address it. It wasn't optimistic to address it. And I don't think he really wanted that to be the message. But I think also, you know, to his point, he wants to make Tesla the single most disruptive force in the world. And that is not hyperbolic. That's what he wants. And he wants to be a sustainable energy future in 10 years. So really, that's structural change. And, 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 if, and if he gets it right, yeah, it's going to happen. But to your point, cyclicality may push these times like, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight, 10 years.
4: John, really good to see you. Um, I have the simplest question uh, for you and our viewers want to know is, is what is this company which is trading on 49 times forward, 55 times looking back, what is it worth?
1: Simple question, simple answer. Uh, price target we have is 260. Um, Two hundred sixty dollars a share. We're at two hundred now. Uh, within the next six to twelve months. I think you know that's doable. That's our analyst target. That's not mine. Uh, but when I when I you know queried it, looked into it this afternoon, it sounded fair. I think two sixty is where we're headed. Um,
4: what, just just briefly, then, what is? I mean, if that's worth two hundred sixty bucks, which I presume takes us up well into 50, 60 times forward as well. What's um, some of the OEMs worth? I mean, are they really worth? I mean, for instance, Ford trades at seven times forward as well. Is it really worth a seven, eight, nine times multiple on the value of Ford?
1: Well, you know, this is what Musk laid out really cleanly. I mean, GM and Ford, uh, for all intents and purposes, are a factory structure that was designed in 1922 and has not been updated. So that is 100 years ago. So what the market is basically pricing is what a 1922 platform is going to look like in the face of Tesla's uh, utter disruptive, you know, massive ramp. And nobody has yet gotten convinced that, you know, the the Ford effort is significant enough or transformative enough to reach that level. And all the Rivians and the Lucens of the world, they just don't simply have the CapEx. So that's that's basically what's happening here. Nobody has yet to get... You know, the visibility into whether GM and Ford have really, you know, gotten appraised of just how serious and how disruptive these new factories are going to be.
4: Lovely to see you. I, I believe it's still, what is it now, quarter past 10 in Santa Barbara as well. I, I can tell you Thursday is a very exciting day once you get there, John. Nice to see you, sir. Uh, John Blank, uh, Chief Equity strategist over at Zacks. Have you but, had a good
0: experience with a Thursday in Santa Barbara?
4: No, but I rang oh. Wyoming when I was in the car the other day oh, okay. at half three in the morning. Wow. Because uh, my son was at supper in Wyoming. Nice. Uh, and he said, well, we were trying to work out what on earth you would do at what time it was. I said, well, I'm the only person who can ring you at this kind of time of day. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was very well anyway. Yeah, good. Um,
0: AB InBev, yes. uh, this is uh, the company that produces Stella Artois and Corona and Budweiser. I'm sure there's one in there you can find to like. The, uh, the group, <laughs> the world's largest brewer, um, expanded profits by slightly more than expected in the fourth quarter. The company forecasting 2023 growth of between four and eight percent. The um, company says earnings before interest tax, depreciation and amortization rose 7.6% on a like-for-like basis to four point nine five billion dollars that was uh, ahead of the seven point one percent gain expected by analysts in the company compiled report it's enjoyed something of a bounce back uh, year-to-date on optimism that actually this is an environment where the the brewers are, are going to do better even as we know input costs have been something of a drag on the business over time so good performance no brewers droop
2: you didn't say the word which One premiumization. Pre- oh, oh premium. premiumization. God, don't, don't, don't already your already
0: eyes desperate? just roll oh, every yeah. time totally you hear just. that from the CEO of a brewing business and or new. a drinks company?
2: It's not that
4: new, they've just reinvented. I heard this when I went down to the South African World Cup, which was a brilliant event back in the soccer world cup, football mm. world cup, back in I think it was 2010. Mm. Uh, and I went down to South Africa, and it was a great. Jolly, to be honest, I was very lucky to get down there. Yeah, under the guise of business news, uh, it was very well Doesn't sold by instantly. our producer. No, 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 oh. none of that. Um, but, but, I. But one of the major sponsors then was one of the major um, alcohol companies, um, mm. and everywhere you go that was their alcohol ever. And they were then talking about the benefits of glass bottles versus tin cans. And there is a snobbery in the middle classes, I consider myself probably part of that, I guess, of drinking beer out of a bottle rather than a can or purchasing it out of a bottle and a can. And this is all the same thing. It's like, do you know, And they were someone led on to me, you, we can sell so much more beer for such a large premium to people who want it in a bottle rather than people who want it in a can. And it's exactly the same thing, a lot of this beer, I'm going to say it. You know how I feel about lager. All taste the same. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, yeah. <laughs> uh, as opposed to bitter, uh, but the fact of the matter is, it's, it's, that's the same thing. It's trying to get people to think it's kind of it, it, it's, it's a bit more sheeshy to have it in well, a bottle of Well, craft
2: has played into that trend too, hasn't craft it? Has, a, slightly and then they've less all been, availability. Here's the
4: irony of craft. The, the, the big brewers like yeah. Ember, Heineken, they've all tried to kind of say, well, we've got our own craft beers. But by the nature of the fact that when they're owned by the big brewers, they can't be yeah. craft because craft means localization, it means small. Uh, breweries um, and localization in terms of where it comes from, where it's bought. Well look, I I think something else
0: is going on here and I think the timing is right as far as you nail it because it's about the same time that they took the cigarette ads (coughs) off the side of F1 cars and it's the fact that you can't be seen as the CEO of one of these businesses going out there and saying drinking more alcohol (laughs) is a great idea. So how do you continue to put across a positive message but make the case a the for better. a reason for higher You're profitability right. and higher margin. And you say, people are not drinking more. No, no, that's not what we're about. We just want them to pay a little bit more because we give them a better container yeah. or we give them a slightly fancier label. But ultimately, we all but know it does the option. same job. The
2: other option is you start marketing zero alcohol beer. I mean, that is a very common product category. It's, it's called drink innovation, isn't it? Most of the brewers are up to it. Uh, whether they're based in Europe, based in Asia, based in the United States.
4: It's the same as Karen drinking um, Blue Nun or Penfolds, it's virtually the same anyway. And did you see Baby Shams coming back? <laughs> it's
0: not! Baby Sham is coming back. Welcome
4: back to the 70s. <laughs> coming up on the show, Bundesbank president Joachim Nagel rules out any slowdown in the ECB's hiking path. That's probably jolly good, didn't the uh, German uh, inflation data TSA, did you see? It was so hot. the CPI. So we'll bring you that interview with uh, Herr Nagel coming up next.
2: And for more on Elon Musk's master plan and why it failed to woo investors, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
4: A slimmed down wall i had to be coaxed to the wall by the directors or so. okay right here we are uh FTSE up formula stay up five tenths of one percent by and large it was a soggy session on both sides of the atlantic as well uh, the cac lost at five tenths of percent the Zetradax down i mentioned that inflation data jeff will talk you through a bit more of that in a while safe to say the yields on the european paper the bond yields all picked up again Look at that. We used to worry about 4% handle on the 10 year BTP. Uh, Not so much now, it seems 4.58. I wonder when we'll start talking about anti fragmentation tools yet again. But the problem is if the 10 and the uh, 10 year paper on the, the, the Bund BTP doesn't expand too much and they both rally together, then what does that mean for anti fragmentation? And that goes back to something that we discussed around the desk months and months ago. And that is the fact is, is it the absolute yield that matters or the spread over bunds? A lot of people tell me it's the latter. Personally, I think it's the former when you've got 1.7 trillion euro bond market that needs refinancing on a regular basis. French 10-year paper, up to 3.2. But the real expectation and excitement yesterday uh, apart from what Mr Bailey was saying, that was 3.8 on the gilts, was surrounding the Buns. And Jeff will tell you why.
0: Yeah, German inflation unexpectedly rose in February, tracking last month's hotter-than-expected CPI prints in France and Spain, posing another fresh dilemma for the European Central Bank. EU-harmonised consumer prices jumping 9.3% year-on-year, 10 basis points higher than in January, and up 1% on a monthly basis. Energy and food prices continue to drive costs higher up around 19 and 22 percent respectively. Wednesday's hot inflation print out of Germany set to impact today's euro area CPI reading due at 11 central European time. Economists had forecast an easing in price pressures between January and February from 8.6 percent to 8.2 percent. Well the Bundesbank president uh, Joachim Nagel told CNBC he sees rate hikes continuing into the summer and potentially beyond as inflation continues to run hot in germany and the rest of the euro area annette spoke with the bundesbank chief as the german central bank released its annual report and uh, reported its first loss in 40 years she asked him if he sees uh, inflation being sticky in the near
3: term it looks like that at least for the next months, inflation will stay on very high levels. So I expect maybe for the second half that inflation might come down to a certain extent. But still, what we expect for this year for for Germany is an average inflation rate of around 6 to 7 percent. So too high means for monetary policy that we have to do our job. I think the expectation for the March meeting is, is pretty clear. But this journey is not over with the March meeting.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were saying early on that you're expecting significant rate rises also after March. So is it just one significant or a couple of a sequence of rate ri- rises which we are seeing? So
3: I guess speculation for the moment what is coming beyond March is, this is not helping. It looks like what I see now that the March numbers that I expect are still on a very high level. So I expect this 50 basis point hike for our March meeting. And it looks like that also for the upcoming meetings in May and after May, there's something on top to do. It is a journey. I do not know where is the terminal rate or the neutral rate. I do not even know if we are really getting into this negative territory. It doesn't look like for the moment that we are already seeing the negative territory, so it, it is really something. It should be data-dependent. I have to wait for the March projections.
2: But another tool you have on your hands is QT, quantitative tightening, and you were suggesting that asset purchase or the <clears throat> the, the the shrinking of the balance sheet could mm-hmm. actually be faster. So, do you think you get a majority on the governing council?
3: Now, first of all, I think the shrinking of the balance sheet is very important. So we already decided to do this: a monthly reduction of 15 billions. I think this is a first step. It's a complementary decision related to what we are doing on the interest rate side. I think, I hope there is a majority because we have to do more. I think we have a large balance sheet. So the asset purchases, uh, they hiked or they, they brought us to a size of 5 uh, billion of assets that we bought over the last couple of years. There's a long way to go to bring um, these assets. Uh, this, this uh, balance sheet down, so I believe 15 billion, yes, is okay for a monthly reduction. But is, in my interpretation, this is not enough.
4: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to CNBC.com
2: or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.